Hi, I'm Bijan and you're listening to the fourth episode of Undisturbed. In this episode, I talked with Lucia Muriel. Lucia is a psychotherapist and a manager in an organization called Migration Development and Participation based in Berlin. She moved to Berlin from Ecuador with her mother in 1963 when she was seven years old. In the first part of this episode, she tells me about the movements of indigenous people in Ecuador while in the second part, she talks more about her work and activities in Germany. Okay, hi. I am, uh, my name is Lucia Muriel. I was uh, born in 1955 in Quito and I live in Berlin. I am psychologist and therapist, psychotherapist also. And what I, I have done um, all the past time also is uh, working for getting better uh, conditions for migrant and especially for migrant women are uh, to take part equally in this German society. You know, Quito is, um, yeah, I can say it like this, one of the most beautiful cities I ever seen in my world, in my life, because uh, I, I made some travels to different countries and different regions. And uh, the special thing about Quito is that it is um, built in, in a tail between two big mountains in, uh, in Ecuador. Uh, and um, other, what is very important to know about Quito is that people living there has indigenous roots, yes. And the other part is a mixed population. Yes, I almost traveled every year uh, to, to Quito since 73. Yes, I studied um, psychology in um, Freie Universität Berlin and I got diploma uh, in psychology and uh, my uh, first, my special field in psychology was uh, clinical psychology. When I started to study and the first years I, I lived here in Berlin, through the uh, German law, it was prohibited to work as um, psychotherapist, as practitioner, because uh, it, so long they did not have the German nationality. So I could not start to work as psychotherapist, but I also did, did not want to do it because my belief was that I should more first learn more about the life at, uh, at a whole 
uh, uh, first to 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 work as psychotherapist. Yes. Uh, after some years, I made um, study in um, psychology for uh, companies, for psychology uh, for for companies and work and organizations. So I got this title also, and um, and then I worked some years in educational and uh, projects in educational projects and projects of mental health. And I started to work as psychotherapist almost uh, eight years ago. After making other study about trauma therapy and um, uh, also psychotherapist method uh, from this um, Persian psychotherapist Nosrat Peseshkian. I don't know if you know the him. You came to Germany with your mother. Can you tell me about her story and her political background? Um, when I was uh, born, my mother was a young woman, of course. And in this young age, she um, yet decided to be um, a communist woman and was organized inside this uh, communist party the communist party in that time in the 40s and 50s uh, was strongly orientated by this um uh soviet model yes and i think uh, in the first time even she was in a way marxist leninist uh, person this was the this was the the platform and the orientation for left parties in that time in South America. And in the time, being a young person and being a student and not being left think, a left um, thinking and organized person uh, almost, almost was a no-go in that time. Because I, my mother was left, but all the families, all the friends, all the persons I know from that time in Ecuador, they were left-thinking person. And the same you could um, you could see in Colombia. The same you could see, of course, in Mexico, for example, to being criticizing the capitalist, the colonialist relations. Oh, and way of living in that countries, it was completely normal, you could say. Yeah, I think that uh, this is what what was teached, and this is and this critic was uh, in a way to being resistant against um, capitalist uh, way of thinking coming from the north. Uh, from the global north was uh, was not was normal because in the north Germany and uh, they they made fascism they made uh, uh, they they made holocaust they uh, had the persecution uh, uh, against Jewish and other 
people, so they were not really a model for, for no one, you know. And, and on the other side, the Soviet Union, they showed the whole world that they were very strong in their defense of their territory, of their country, of their people. They were so strong, great fighter against fascism. So this is what I think from the perspective of South America, the whole world could see, yeah, or, or at least the person in, in South America could see. And it was, it was uh, yes, like like an orientation. And of course, also reading the books of uh, Rosa Luxemburg, uh, um, uh, Lenin and uh, Karl Marx, Friedrich Engels, it, it was a must be uh, in that time. Yeah, so this is what my mother uh, teached me, yes. Uh, the artist, my mother was, um, in a, as a young woman, she stu she studied uh, music. She was a musician, a singer, and a pi pianist. They looked for alternatives for the society. They were tired of this inequality and the lack of justice for women, for people rural living in the rural area the people uh, the the indigenous people they they my mother she went with us when we were uh, very small uh, kids she went with us to colombia because um she she preferred to be part of the left movement in Colombia, it was very strong, much stronger. Uh, you know, I don't know if you uh, had the information, but the first guerrillas in South America we had were, were the guerrilla movements in Colombia. The movement of the um, workers in the rural area, they had developed the first guerrillas and so it's only an example to explain how strong was the orientation of uh, against capitalism against this uh, colonialist uh, exploitation and uh, yeah and politics of the of this uh, fascist uh, uh, governments we had so, but my mother, she was not part of the guerrillas, but in the in the urban area, there were always um, a lot of groups supporting the guerrilla movement and supporting also the uh, movements of the workers. And uh, my mother, she she got she got divorced from my father and as a single mother uh, the communist party decided to give her the opportunity to um, go to the one of the socialist countries so-called socialist countries and she she did choose the gdr to live with us 
so we could go there because you know the communist the leaders leadership of the communist parties in south america not only colombia but all the others also and the government of the gdr they had something like a um, contract uh to support left hand leadership and give them the opportunity to make study or education in in the social uh, socialist countries and so so we could go there and the wish of my mother was um to study musicology so the science of the mu- of the music <laughs> and this is what she did she she studied anthropology and um, and music and uh, musicology yeah in in the gdr yes you know uh, of course what also is very important to mention if we talk about the history and talk about the historical moment of uh, of this leninist marxist um theories and um movements and achievement is of course to mention the socialist revo- revolution in cuba but one of the most important uh, or most well known person is uh, jean paul sartre he, he uh, defined the Cuban revolution, socialist revolution, uh, as the only real social, uh, real revolution of the twenty of the twentieth uh, century. Yeah, uh, and I agree completely with the sentence. I think that until now, the only real socialist revolution we had seen, we could see, is the revolution in Cuba. And um, Cuba showed Cuba showed the world to the whole world that a revolution in the whole in the whole sense of what is mentioned a revolution is is what they did. They uh, finished with their own um, struggle with their own hands, arms, and voices, a political system. And started to uh, construct to build up a completely new system, political and social system. Yeah, there there's no example in the world like this. Yes, so it gave every big impulse. I think not only to the generation of my mother, also to following uh, generations. Me myself, for example, I I was convinced completely that um, we could arrange uh, by movements and by struggle uh, other other revolutions in the world. Going back to the movement of indigenous in Ecuador, 
What is it like to be an indigenous people in Ecuador? How are their movements related to the anti-colonial struggle? A lot of different indigenous people and uh, groups, yes, as they live in um, in the high mountains in the Anden, yes, in the Anden region, and other groups lives in back to the Amazonas, yes, and also be in between and uh, between Amazonas and um, Anden. They also in the, this region also lives. Uh, Um, dif- uh, quite different uh, indigenous um, groups, and also there are groups in the Amazonas which didn't have, uh, which didn't have at all contact to this c- civilization living now in Ecuador. Um, uh, they. They, they calculate that there are um, almost six or eight uh, groups, indigenous groups, living like this. They didn't got any contact uh, with this civilization. Yes, with our civilization, if you want to say it like this. Yes. Ecuador and the indigenous groups has a long, long uh, history of anti-colonial movements. I could say since the beginning of the colonialism. Uh, for example, because but but we we should um, underline that the these movements and the the fights against um, this uh, colonialism are uh, always were in a in a peaceful way yes we all, all always talk about peaceful resistance about all this this uh, time more than 500 years for example we can identify that one way of resisting is uh, was uh, in the beginning for example that the that a lot of indigenous groups and people they left to the mountains others left to amazonas and they left to the mountains so high that the spanish conquistadores they could not uh, find them and there they could live uh, in a way protected and um, defend their their identity, their roots, their tradition, their lives. It is very, very important. First, I think for me, it's very important to start saying that the complete, all the indigenous groups and people, and doesn't matter if they live in the cities or in the rural areas or in Amazonas or in the mountains or wherever during the whole history of colonialism they suffered so much exploitation oppression 
discrimination and exclusion. They always, when I went, for example, when I went to Ecuador, I always got so much impressed to see that the always the most poor and most um, suffering people were were the indigenous people. The mixed persons like me, for example, they could be poor, but never they did suffer so much oppression, exclusion, disrespect like the indigenous people. This is this horrible, one of the most horrible heritage we have from this colonialism. We got from this colonial uh, history, yes. It took a lot of time until, of course, this uh, very social, very uh, excluded groups could um, organize themselves, unite themselves, and uh, develop organized resistance. Yeah, organize, uh, fight for the for their uh, freedom and respect and for their participation. Uh, so we got very strong and powerful uh, movements in Ecuador from these groups living in the Amazonas and of the other side also inside of the groups living in the Anden. They, are, they got so strong that, for example, in the 90s, in the 1990s and uh, 1980s, uh, we had very bad governments, very corrupt governments, and the indigenous uh, people and groups and their organization, they organize their fight and their resistance in a way that they come from those from their places where they live uh, walking during uh, weeks and months walking from from there to Quito. This is very important, very special, you know, uh, to 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 think also that they are able to stand up and to go by, by foot walking until this um, uh, to the to the uh, capital Quito, and uh, and because the other the, the rest of the population saw them being so strong and um, and united always they got a lot of support and this support also helped that they could even move away this corrupt or uh, corrupt uh, government so we have a lot of examples in our history where the the voice of the people uh, moved away the governments Yes, for example, in, in the 1998 and years before, we can see this in the history. So, in reality, the indigenous voice is the real 
the colonial, the colonial and voice and the voice of freedom for the Ecuadorian people uh, at all. You know what I mean? Uh, if if there wouldn't be this united and strong movements, indigenous movements, there would no, not be this strong the uh, anti-colonial uh, movement of the Ecuadorian people at all, because they always showed they, they always give a model of resistance or yes and of. Um, the colonial mind and of what does it mean get uh, liberated, what does it mean get empowered, what does it mean get strong as a, as a, as, as a, a voice of people. Now, in these days, exactly in these days, we have a very new, very difficult situation in Ecuador. Uh, you you should know that we had uh, have the, the the last Sunday seventh yeah two one week ten ten days ago we had have ele elections in Ecuador in uh, in preparation of the elections we had a lot of um, misuse of power of the uh, of this uh, government. Uh, we, we have right now uh, because this is a very neoliberal uh, government and uh, politic we have currently in, in Ecuador. Currently means the last four years because so we, we have a very right um, right orientated uh, government, neoliberal orientated government in Ecuador currently. After we had 10, 10 years of a very progressive government under Rafael Correa. Please tell me more about the peaceful resistance of indigenous in Ecuador and also their relation to other social movements of the country. You know, we, we talk about a peaceful resistance because um, the indigenous people, they never could have, for example, access to yes. Uh, to arms or to power in a way in in a way they didn't have access to power they didn't got access to education to good living conditions at all for example you can imagine 30 40 years ago you never ever could find one indigenous person at university or, uh, or in the city having a shop, a business, or uh, whatever, yes, an uh, enterprise. It was possible to imagine, uh, but but this um, the because they are uh, cultural in in their traditions, they are very strong. For example, they always tried to maintain their languages. 
and it is uh, very difficult. It, it was uh, very difficult because um, the indigenous the indigenous um, languages uh, they were not written languages. Yes, they were only spoken. So no school teached parents of the kids. No one could teach the the these this languages. So they try to maintain it uh, only by speaking traditions, yes, but they got it. And like the languages, we can we can say we can see the languages as one of the examples. Also, the ways of cooking, of nutrition, of uh, uh, wearing their clothes, their colors. And so on and so on. The tradition, how they made agriculture, for example. So they, in all these fields, in all these aspects, they maintained very strongly and firm, <clears throat> firmly their traditions, their knowledge, and uh, their believings, the way of uh, of live together, the way of uh, being community and uh, and so on you know this were the only way for uh, for assistance of the indigenous uh, people uh, all these uh, centuries uh, since the since this uh, years 1950 60 70 then start they political platforms, political groups, and in a way, a political articulation. And this, in the first time, sometimes helped this left, left organization, left parties, the communist, socialist, but not so strong and not in the way the indigenous people wanted to be uh, supported. Because, the, for example, the communist and socialist uh, parties, they also had their own interests in a way, political interests to follow. And their, their focus, their focus was, was not that much put on on indigenous people because as i told you the indigenous population always has been the most disrespected and discriminated population and they also were in a way uh, disrespected by a lot of of uh, left thinking person Yes, and of fr through the communist and so on and so on, because they had their they had their interest, but they also were part of this um, mentality um, that only the uh, this um, mestizos. This is the this is the word for our mixed population. Yes, and uh, uh, were uh, ha happy being a mestizo and not an indigenous person, you know. This is the way we should talk the history uh, in in this way. So that the um, Ecuadorian indigenous groups, 
they were left alone for a long, long time, really. You know, also in this time, 50s, 60s, 70s, what happened then in Ecuador, they started to exploit the uh, pet petrol. Yes, because Ecuador, we have very, very much uh, pet petrol. And uh, then came... Uh, Shell and this great monopolist uh, to exploit, to exploit all they can, this petrol. And then they they did, they exploited this uh, petrol without caring the population, the the environment, the nature, the uh, the live, uh, the the way of living of their of these uh, people. Yes, and then uh, they got in a very hard confrontation with the indigenous people because they got very sick, they died, their environment, their water, the, the, the nature got um, uh, destroyed. Yes, and then they started really in response of this exploitation, they started to um, organize themselves in a political uh, way and clearly political articulation. And uh, yeah, now they are very strong, organized, and they are also good um networking with organization in Peru, for example. It is very, very hard and difficult for them to, to be recognized, to be um, uh, integrated in, this, in the political life of Ecuador. Yeah, And all, only the first government we had, which give this uh, indigenous uh, political groups a big platform and and uh, uh, equality in the participation was Rafael Correa, the government of Rafael Correa. So the last uh, four five years uh, with this neoliberal and colonial. Um, uh, politic of this uh, uh, government of um, Moreno in power, uh, in current power, uh, he destroyed all the achievements made made by uh, Rafael Correa. And now in the election process, we have right now uh, one new candidate uh, who wants to. Uh, go on and to follow up this uh, this politics of uh, Rafael Correa in a in a similar way we can say and now this uh, current uh, right wings uh, power forces and uh, parties in Ecuador they tried by all the ways they they have uh, misusing power and also and so on and so on to avoid uh, re-election yes and um, so in the last days i i get informed that um, this uh, very 
dirty role of Colombia. Always Colombia is playing a very, a very uh, <clears throat> difficult role in, in South America. They try with uh, fake news and and fake reports and so on and so on to to make it impossible that this uh, candidate will be elected. So in the next days we don't know what will happen, and even the um, uh, the fear is that uh, there will be or a coup again in Ecuador or a fraud and the election process, yes. Because the only aim of the right wing and the neoliberalistic uh, forces is to avoid the election of uh, this uh, candidate. His name is Arauz. count some of the achievements of the indigenous people's movement? The, the biggest achievements are that um, they, for example, uh, during this uh, government of Rafael Correa, they were part of the government. This, the, this was the first time that they had their own seats in the parliament, in the government. Uh, for example, the first uh, minister of um, of defense, the, the first minister of defense of the country, of national defense of the country, was a indigenous woman. Yes, and uh, she died. We are sure that she was killed by these uh, right-wing militaries. In the first four years, she she died. This was a, <clears throat> a very great example uh, to for the indigenous movement that uh, they could put a minister of 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 such a very important um, field, political field. And um, and now also they they got uh, in the constitution uh, because Rafael Correa made also a new constitution and there are fixed that the indigenous uh, languages, for example, should be taught in schools and uh, so that they have the they have the same access uh, like all the others to get to universities to schools and so on and so on so this this is not that the the, the mestizo population gave them the rights they fight it for these rights yes this is their really um success yes uh they have developed their own political culture and organizational culture uh, inside of their groups and inside of their organizations based on indigenous traditions. As you said, for example, to take decision in a very horizontal uh, way, 
they keep on uh, also, for example, the commercial life. They also uh, keep their uh, traditional ways of of uh, of making business and commercial. And there are a lot of um, principles they have. What the Ecuadorian <clears throat> mestizo society doesn't or didn't know before. And also, for example, they integrated their knowledge, their philosophies, their um, heritage in this official education, uh, which we have now in Ecuador. Now, the education in Ecuador changed in a way we don't copy anymore this uh, uh, completely Spanish uh, tradition of education. Now we have a more Ecuadorian uh, education. And this means that we integrated these knowledges up, uh, of, of our indigenous population. Now this is a very, I think, a very big contribution uh, of the indigenous indigenous uh, organizations platforms and uh, and yeah and political movements What is the philosophy of these people? We have heard about the peculiar relationship these people have with nature and environment. Can you tell me a bit about this as well as the influence the indigenous people have had on Ecuadorian macropolitics? As organized population, now we have the indigenous population. They are organized, they, they got better trained, they got better educated in also in political articulation, in political participation, and so on and so on. So now, for not now, but in these 10 years of uh, Rafael Correa's government time, um, we all learned about their fi- philosophy for the life, living with environment, with uh, nature, animals, and so on. And this is what in German, in Germany, uh, in, in the global uh, debates, we can say, now is known about the theory or the concept of uh, buen vivir. Yeah, buen vivir. Uh, the roots of this concept is laying in the indigenous tradition and the, and this is a, a hundred percent indigenous philosophy we could in a way if you want save yes through the indigenous indigenous population and through this indigenous 
um, platforms and movements. Because, for example, when I went to Ecuador, um, as an example, 30 years ago, so no one talked about Buen Vivir, no one. But now the whole uh, nation, Ecuador, they talk about Buen, Buen Vivir and they know what it means, yeah, or they learn what it means. And uh, this uh, Buen Vivir is part of the philosophy of the indigenous uh, people living in the mountains, yes, in the Anden. The roots are already deeply laying in the Quechua, uh, Quechua culture. Yeah, the Quechua is one of these indigenous cultures, uh, one of the, the greatest, I think, one of the biggest cultures we have in Ecuador. And Buen Vivir, um, means that we should learn to live in a balance between our needs and the need of the nature, the need of the uh, the animals and the plants, the flora and fauna. So it means that, for example, in our constitution and the Ecuadorian constitution is the f was the first one in the world who had pu who put in their um, constitution that the human beings are on the same level uh, like the the environment like flora and fauna and nature and animals we are on the same level we are not because of being human we are not above all the nature you know what I mean. So we are not living in a hierarchy. We are living in the, we, we should learn to live in the same level of rights. And in our constitution is fixed that all the animals, all the trees, all the plants, the water has uh, rights also. Yeah, no, no one constitution in the world had put uh, these uh, sentences before in their constitution. Another very spectacular particularity of the uh, Ecuadorian uh, constitution is, for example, that they uh, eliminated the aspect of, of an, a nationalist category to being Ecuadorian. You know, we, we learn, for example, uh, that the person living in German in Germany are Germans. The living in France are France France French people, but in Ecuador they uh, eliminated this category, and they put the people living in Ecuador are being of the cosmos, yes, of the planet. We are, I think. Until now, this constitution is the only constitution in the world who has put this category. So you see that um, this indigenous philosophy and way of thinking and way of looking uh, uh, at our life is not only very different to, to what we get used until now, but also they made a very big contribution to change things, yes, to decolonize our 
way of thinking, for example. Let's move to your personal work in Germany. I know you have founded an organization called Move Global, but you told me that many things went wrong there, and as a consequence of these hardships, you had to leave Move Global. So I will not ask you about this, as I know it is hard for you to talk about it more. So could you please tell me more about your work in Migration Development and Participation Organization? We also founded in 2013. Um, why did we this found, uh, foundings was because in the German government, what they called um, paradigma wechsel, so a change in their way of looking at migration, at migrants and migration. Yeah, they they called it like this, and they they started with this um, discourse. They started uh, in two thousand eight and nine. So, and in that time, I worked as a project coordinator, um, giving consulting for 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 migrant organization especially for migrant organization, working working in the area of uh, north and south relation, yes, or Entwicklungspolitik, what they call like this, yes. This was my my work there. I I gave them support and or orientation, these organizations, and I I found that in Berlin, for example, I started to work, and after six months, almost six months, I got to know um, more than hundred organization of migrants. I never did expect so much uh, organizations uh, working in that field. Yeah, I never did expect like this, and no one of this organization were member of a white German network or association. Almost no one of this organization worked, did their work with financiation of uh, uh, for broad for their projects. They didn't get money for their project, which motivated me to uh, to to make this founding, yeah, and to to say, okay, what happened if we come together, if we create our own network, create our own voice, not to wait until the white NGOs come to us and come as um, this uh, discovering, you know, as <laughs> Columbus, <laughs> I always say. They are little Columbus, yes, to come and discover us and our work, our uh, contributions, 
so if they didn't do it uh, the last 60 70 years so why should we why should we uh, wait uh, longer until they come and discover us and and i said and when they come and discover us so they will make the same as columbus they will um take us yes they will colonize us they will dominate dominate us so and um there were a lot of organizations who did support my ideas about this and for me it was really a historical moment or a, the, the, a chance of the time to make this founding uh, of of uh, migrant association, migrant organization, representing ourselves, representing our uh, develop our voice and so on and and uh, yes, our um, to also to show our presence. And what was my uh, objective? Um, was uh, first to um, demand equality in the participation, uh, equality and in the access of uh, financial and structural support. Yeah. So that's why that's why that's why were these creations of Move Global and MEPA also, and um, yeah. And so I, in Move Global, I worked, yeah, day and night. I pass. I, I think I give the this years from ninety, from 2012 until 2060, 70. I did not anything different than um, supporting this uh, structure of migrants. One of your interviews, you had considered migrants as actors of the society who are in many instances paralyzed and not engaged in the social apparatus. Could you elaborate more on this and tell me why you work with migrants? Yes, you know, um, the first point, what I see, what I experience as a migrantized person, because I I don't know if I really a migrant or not, <laughs> and I much more than a migrant woman, of course. But uh, until now, yeah, I I got old in this society, and even like this, I am I I am read as a migrant person, a migrant woman, yes, or foreigner or whatever, yes, Ausländer, and the the first thing I experienced and not only the first but it is like uh, completely through my everyday life is that um, there is an idea of this society where, where you have to got assimilated 
about idea of what is Germany, what is the idea of what is Germany is the idea of a white dominant patriarchal country, a monocultural country with a focus of, of only one religion, one color, one language, uh, one idea, one political um, propose, and so on and so on, completely dominant, what tradition, what, uh, what are the values. And person like me, we only have the chance to, to exist, yes, in this, uh, in this society, if we let us assimilate completely, uh, you know, above this <laughs> uh, condition, yeah, there are no, there's no option uh, from, from this point of view, from this concept. So this is not my concept of a society, of a modern society of the 20th or 21st century, of course. And I, what my experience is that that person like me, black person, person of color, person with other religion, they um, they should not. We should not stay here. We should not be here. But as we are here, so we we should not be visible. It's such a, you know the politics of invisibility is what we have to go through. Yes, we are not white. We don't have the the uh, blue eyes, and so on. Okay, but please don't be visible <laughs> because you could destroy this dominant image of of black, of white German patriarchal as a society. More and less, this is the way I experience this society. So. I, I don't say that the migrant, that we migrant groups or person are the better one. We are not the better person, not at all. But it cannot be that we accept this, this pressure. We cannot accept this pressure of assimilation anymore. Yeah. And uh, so this is my my point of view I I have I yeah I, I maintain yeah we should not accept this pressure and this condition of being invisible because if we got invisible and if we accept this pressure of assimilation we will got very sick very unhappy we will lose the our strength we will lose our mind even so and then i i told you this experience i made in this project where i during some months only i i i get to know i get in, in touch with so many person from south living here and making great projects or sometimes also simple projects but uh, very good-minded projects uh, in their countries 
Of course, I knew that, but not the not the dimension of it. The whole my whole life in Berlin, I lived uh, next uh, to my migrant uh, friends. Yeah, I you know I lived so many years in Germany, and I speak German like the Germans, and and in a way better than there than than, than there. And I wanted to be strong in my German language, so that's why. And yeah, and even 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 so, I don't have no one fr German friend in this country. <laughs> this was the point. <laughs> I have no one friend. All my friends, I have, I don't know how many friends, but all my friends are from different parts of the world living here. And so I know what we feel, what we experience, what happens with us when we, for example, women, when we get um, mother of uh, children, um, which has to grow up here in German schools. I know what they, they, they live, they go through. And... Um, what happens with the neighbors, with the German neighbors, and so on and so on. I, I know exactly their, their life, our lives. When we protect us uh, from this pressure, we are a strong person. We are a great, uh, great, great person. We have a lot of responses to the big questions of the society, for example. Yes, and we have uh, a lot of good values and and so on and so on. So I try to summarize a little bit my experiences, but I, I would like you to understand why I always uh, kept my position near of uh, the migrant um, person. It's not because I think... Uh, that they make the better world or whatever. But um, yeah, I feel that we have to stay together to resist uh, all those all those pressures, for example, racism. Yes, because, for example, I had the opportunity to study about racism and to learn about racism. I live, I I know I don't only live the racism, but I also had the opportunity to uh, to study, to reflect, to to go through this um, uh, academic uh, uh, points of view of what racism uh, belongs. But but a lot of us in migrant groups, they don't have this opportunity. They suffer discrimination, they suffer exclusion every day, but they don't know how to, uh, to defend themselves. So I think the only way is to stay together, to build up our own structures where we are the 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 directors or the the president or whatever, yeah, we are the actors and to build up what we want to build up. And if we want and or if we need to have to get access to this social resources, 
So then we should do it. We should demand it or we should get it. Yes, We've, we should fight for it. And uh, I, I think I am very privileged in a way. And this privilege I want to use for all this, uh, for all these steps, for all this process. And finally, are you connected with political links inside the migrants' movement? How do you see your position in this movement? Yes, of course, I am involved because what I told you now always goes together, hand in hand, with a political consciousness, of course. I am not um, casually a, a woman who is... is um, is sensibilized or is critical uh, against uh, this uh, social pressure of assimilation and so on and so on. I, I see also the political and the social impact uh, of our acting. Where, for example, if we um, don't know our rights, if we don't Uh, struggle if we don't fight or defend better uh, our identity, our roots, what we are. So then the exploitation, uh, the capitalist exploitation, and uh, this um, the the mis misuse of power, like racism, for example, will be much easier. Yeah, and. Uh, And what I want to show to migrant groups is always this point. I, I am very glad, I am happy, I could say, that the, the migrant friends I have uh, in Germany, they are left, they are political conscious people, and um, they don't uh, leave this, um, this critical few uh, of on on this uh, white power politic they know they learn what does it mean and how does it work and so on and i think uh, what i can do is as as long as i live and as, as long as i can i will work for it to um, share my my experiences my my knowledge about this system I told you before about this system. How does it work uh, with others, with with young person of colors, and also, for example, as a psychotherapist, I also work in this way. Yes, because uh, almost all my clients are clients of color, and uh, ha has also have also migrant biographies. And uh, they they came they come to me with a, a lot of health problems and uh, emotional problems and so on. And I try also on, always to uh, to use also this therapist um, space to make them 
uh, open their eyes and to feel their strength, their own strength, to feel their own power of them uh, of themselves. Yes, and uh, and to open their eyes in how does this uh, social system uh, destroy our mental mental health. Yeah, this is what I do. <laughs> and um, through this Corona time, I miss, I miss a lot the direct contact with a lot of the, the people. Yeah. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to meet with Lucia in person, but I'm very excited to meet her soon when she's less busy with meeting with her clients, so that we can cheer up each other and celebrate our fresh friendship. I'm coming back next month with another powerful voice. If you like this podcast, don't forget to send it to your friends. This would be the best way you can help this podcast grow. Undisturbed is produced by me, Bijan Sabak, and is sponsored by and part of Colorful Voices Radios around Germany. The music of the podcast is produced by Jonas and Justus, fully diversifying and eternally disturbing Kashmir's Undisturbed. Please send me your feedback to undisturbed at medianfieldfault.net. Thanks for listening and ciao.